Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church this fine Labor Day weekend. We are so glad that you have decided to join us amidst all of the busyness and all of the things that you could be doing. We are so glad that you are here. I can't help but mention, um, I I loved watching you all worship this morning, and I know that my attention is supposed to be on the Lord, and it is, but also my attention is on you all, and I love at that point in the song where we sing, and with our hands held high, we cry out, that some of you are like, okay, I just sang it, so I need to do it, and like, I watched today, and more than I've ever seen before, like in the audience, in the, in the congregation, I apologize, people are like, yep, I'm with you on this one. I appreciate that. But if there was a com- contest, and I'm not saying that worship is ever a contest, but if there was a contest, the kids are winning right now. I, I just, the, I think it's Peter Yee, I, I don't mean to call him out by name, but I'm going to because it's awesome. Peter Yee, every Sunday, is worshiping his little guts out. And we start into that first song, and that boy is clapping. He's like, let's go. And we start worshiping, and he is worshiping. Like, he doesn't care what any of you think, and he's going hard in the paint. And I find myself unable to contain my smile. Like, it, it draws me, and here I am trying to lead worship. And I'm telling you that these kids, and we have actually a few of them that, that are right there, are leading me in worship so that I can be excited about leading you in worship. And a little child shall lead them, right? And so praise God for what he's doing and for these young people who are just straight slaying it here at First Baptist Church on Sunday morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention to his word, shall we? Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. God, you demonstrate your love for us in so many ways. And Lord, it, it is something that should inspire excitement and joy in our souls. Lord, it is so easy to get caught up in the busyness of our lives and the busyness of our schedules and the desires of our heart and the dreams that we have and to be all work. And Lord, to miss the moments of rest that you give us, the moments that we have to refocus on you, the moments where where you reveal yourself in very clear ways. Lord, you've always been with us and you are always with us, but Lord, I thank you for the moments when you make yourself known to us. Lord, I pray that today as we look at the truth of your word and consider who you are and your desire to to see your gospel spread to every corner of this world, Lord, I pray that you would inspire our hearts, that, that you would mobilize our bodies, that we might take your truth into the world and share it with all who would hear. Speak now to us through the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 1895, a 33-year-old named Catherine Lee Bates left her post as a professor of English at Wellesley College in Massachusetts and traveled to Colorado where she was to begin her post, a new post, as a professor at Colorado College. And along the way, as she traveled and made her way from the East Coast to the the West, if you will, she was able to see a a wide swath of the American countryside. Along the way, she saw the World's Fair and the, quote, white city contained within the grounds. She was able to see the the beauty of the wheat fields of Kansas. Kansas, She stood on the heights of Pikes Peak and looked back over where she'd traveled from 
And as she did, the words of what we now, now know as America the Beautiful came to her. Her, her words were published then in 1895 as a poem to commemorate the 4th of July. But it wasn't until 1901 when it was set to its now famous tune, which ironically had previously been a hymn that no one cared about. So they took the song and they put the words to that and it is now one of the most famous hymns in American history. By the time of her death in 1929, the song was established as one of the penultimate patriotic tunes in American history. The lyrics, if you listen to them, paint a breathtaking vision of the United States and, and, her geog and its geographical features, as well as in our social ideals. The song speaks of, of goodwill to humanity and begs a blessing from the Lord on the land and on the people. Bates' poem is a marvelous work, instilling awe in the citizens of our great country and inspiring acts and reminding us of acts that, that we can testify to of those who would seek the promise of citizenship and the freedom that we enjoy. Bates' lyrics, though, bring to mind another poem written by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah writes, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Those who proclaim peace. Those who bring good tidings. Who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. This lyric by the prophet Isaiah accomplishes the same purpose as Bates' poem. But rather than focusing on a terrestrial earthly kingdom, it focuses on the kingdom of God. It instills awe in the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, or rather at least it should instill awe in the, kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Reminding each of us of our purpose and helping us to find hope once again in the gospel, inspiring us to share it with those who need to hear it. It inspires the citizens of the great nation of God's kingdom to testify to the greatness, not of our nation, but of our God himself. Ours are the feet that are to bring the promise of a better, better, better citizenship to the whole world. That they might know him and enjoy the freedom that we enjoy in Christ. And just as the song speaks, just as Bates' song speaks of spreading the good word of liberty and brotherhood from sea to shining sea, we are charged with taking the gospel to every corner of the globe that the saving grace of Jesus Christ might be heard and received by people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. As we consider Paul's very encouragement to the same end. Romans 15, starting in verse 1, it says this. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. 
For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over all the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written, written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, I don't know if I said that wrong, probably not, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your comp company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jew Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them the material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelieving, unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in the company be flesh, refreshed. The grace of God be with you all. Amen.
Well, Paul says a lot of different things here, and we can tell that, that Paul is winding down his letter. And, and if you're, I know that that was a long section of Scripture, and I don't apologize for reading it. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I will mention it again. One of the things I like about this series is that by the end of it, we will have read the entirety of the book of Romans from beginning to end. And so often we jump over things that are inconvenient or things that are uncomfortable, and we have not done that with this series, even reading things that are hard for me, myself, to pronounce on the stage. We have read it all, and by the end of next week, the entirety of the book of Romans will have been read from this pulpit, this stage, on Sunday mornings. And Paul has some pretty important things to say to us, really focusing, like we talked about earlier in the introduction, about the spread of the gospel talking about his own mission. But he starts exactly where he ended last week in chapter 14. And his whole focus in all of this section as he kind of winds things down is the importance of bringing glory to God through the preaching of his gospel and the saving of people of all nations. And he reminds us once again something that he's reminded of us over and over again throughout the book of Romans. Something that we need reminded of. That bringing glory to God requires us to get over ourselves. Bringing glory to God requires us to get over ourselves. Self-denial and self-sacrifice are foundational features of the Christian life. We don't like to talk about that. We like to talk about what we receive from the gospel. And don't get me wrong, we do receive a great deal from Jesus Christ because of the self-sacrifice and because of the self-denial that he himself modeled. We are saved. We do receive a great salvation. And what we receive is much more than we could ever give. But what we receive is to inform how we are then to live. Self-denial and self-sacrifice are foundational features of the Christian life. Now again, verses 1 through 8 serve more as the end of the previous chapter than the start of this new chapter. Paul is providing, or beginning to provide, his concluding thoughts as we go through the end of this chapter. On, on, and right here, specifically at the beginning, he's talking about, once again, what does it mean to, quote, accept others into the church, to accept others into the faith, while preparing to explain exactly how he himself is doing that in his own life and ministry. In verse 1, he starts by ending I want to, the, the, the thought that we talked about last week by saying that we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Those who consider themselves strong must work to bring others along. We make a mistake when we think the church is about, that the church is an entity, an institution established by God, is here primarily to serve us, to protect us. To, to, to hold up the weak. It's not. It's to serve and care for the, the, the weak and not the strong. It is not, it's not to be a, a bulwark for the strong, but a hospital to care for the weak, to bring them along and to share with them the truth. It reminds me of, of an experience I had several years ago. I've told you before that, that these sermons that I'm writing, I'm writing with a, another pastor that we send them our notes back and forth and compare notes, and, and it's Pastor Mike Miller. And he spoke here once a few years ago. Mike is a slightly shorter, slightly bigger fellow than I am. 
And, and Mike was really working for several years on, on getting in shape and running and was doing very good, was, was incredible shape. And I was living just a few minutes north of him. And, and Mike decided that he was going to run this 5K. And he reached out. It actually was on Labor Day weekend. It was during this weekend, about 15 years ago, that we ran this race. And so Mike reached out and he said, hey, you interested in running this race? And I'd run a few times, and I figured I could keep with Mike. He's like, I don't really run so much as I walk jog. And I was like, listen, I can walk jog with the best of them. So I decided that, that I was going to come and I was going to join him on this 3.1 frolic through the northern plains of Indiana at the Blueberry Festival. And we got out there and we began the race, the gun went off and we started and everything was great. We were having a good time, Mike was sucking wind but keeping on going and I was having a great conversation with myself. I was technically with him but he wasn't doing much talking back. See, I was, I was a cross country runner in high school and my legs were still in shape. At the time I was probably about 25 pounds lighter and so running was not a hard thing and so I was going and I'm having this conversation with Mike and we are having a good time and I'm bringing him along and he's like, I normally would walk right about now and I was like, not today, Satan, let's go. <laughs> so we keep on running. He's feeling good, I'm feeling good, but as we continued Every time someone would pass me, my inter inner competitor was dying. I mean, I was, I was dying inside and everything in me wanted to race. My, my head was saying, stay with your friend and help him on his way. My heart was saying, that was another teenage girl that just passed you. <laughs> and finally, I'm watching and it wasn't one teenage girl it was a host of teenage girls that had the audacity as they came up behind us to say, track, 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 which means get your old slow selves out of the way. So they passed, and I watched them pulling away, and I turned to my dear friend and said, I'll see you at the finish, and I took off. And I ran ahead, and I chased after those girls, and I got ahead of them and, and, and ran to the end of the race. But you know what? It ended up being a bad thing. I, I answered to my arrogance inside, my need, my pride. And you know what happened? I got to the end of that race, and those girls paced on me the entire race. And rather than them pacing me back at the beginning of the race, or passing me back at the beginning of the race where no one could see, they passed me at the finish line where everybody could see and could cheer them on as they passed me crossing the finish line. It was terrible. But worse... My friend Mike finally finished. And he, when he finished his race, he told me this just the other day, he finished five seconds short of his personal goal. He walked three times after I had left him. What did me running off without him accomplish? Sure, I ran stronger than him. I, sh I proved that I was stronger than him, but in my arrogance, I didn't prove anything. All I did was hurt myself and my friend. Whereas, had I stayed back with him, had I continued to encourage him and to bring him along, he would have been built up and he would have accomplished his goal and more. I think that this is the reality sometimes of, of, of what we do as a church, as, as followers of Christ, that we, be, we become so concerned with our own race and keeping ahead of, of the Joneses and keeping up in front of others that we drive ahead and leave others behind. Forgetting that the race that we run has already been won by Christ. 
And sometimes, perhaps, rather than us running ahead and turning around and shouting back that others need to figure out how to catch up with us, maybe we need to stay with them. We need to sacrifice of ourselves to bring them along with us. And Paul, as a matter of fact, says almost exactly that. Now, Paul isn't encouraging the, the, the strong to ignore the failings of others. That he's not saying to disregard sin in the lives of others. This isn't about sin issues or, 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 or righteousness. This is about bringing others along in maturity in the faith to help them become more. He is encouraging them to consider what others need. And to take great care and caution in the examples that we set for others. To make sure that our actions help others to learn and grow in due time. We should not just do what seems best for us. We should not just do what we can do. But we should seek what we need to do for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. We must learn to sacrifice our own personal preferences and priorities to serve and build up those that Christ puts on the path with us. Paul says in verse 2, each of, us should not, each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. See, Jesus is the standard. Jesus is, this is something that I find myself saying both in conversation and in sermons often. That Christ is the standard towards which we should strive. We should consistently be seeking to mold ourselves, to mold our actions and our attitudes into the image of Christ above and beyond all others. The ultimate goal in the Christian life is that we look, live, and love like Jesus. And that we would bring others to join us on the journey. That's the glory of the gospel. Jesus came to earth to join us in our struggles. And his suffering brought about our salvation. He didn't come to berate us for not being good enough. He didn't come to beat us down uh, in the, the light of our sin and our unmitigated failure. But instead, he came alongside us and took our insults upon himself as he labored to make a way for us to follow him into new and full life. The truth is that when we read scripture, and we need to read scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ. And when we do, we can see how all of scripture is useful and applicable to our lives in a variety of ways. Throughout history, God has made great efforts to meet humanity where they were. And to patiently build us up and bring us along. That is what scripture is about. We see God coming down and condescending and meeting with Abraham, right? A Abram, this random man out in the middle of nowhere living in this idolatrous group of people. And God comes to Abram and meets with him and says, you have no people, but you're going to. And you're going to be my people. And then his people wander off and do their own thing. And God once again comes to them and sends them Moses and says, hey, I'm going to lead you back that you might follow me in my ways. And they wander again. And God comes through the form of judges and sends judges to, to, to reorient their hearts and their minds. Then God comes and brings kings and reasserts his promise with his people. 
And over and over and over again, we see God seeking out people who are consistently wandering off path. And God consistently coming and saying, no, no, come along with me. Ultimately resulting in Christ. God in the flesh, joining us in the way. Experiencing the struggles of life. But finding the success that we ourselves could not find. That he might lead us into salvation by grace through faith. Verse 5, Paul says this. May the God who gives, us, who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Loving neighbor as self. Or better yet and more accurately... Loving others as Christ loved us requires both encouragement and endurance and is essential to the work of the gospel for the glory of God. When we follow the example of Jesus and allow God to mold and make us in his image, we will humbly and joyfully give of ourselves for the good of others and bring glory to God. We need to remember, and if we do remember, we will be inspired to do this, that the gospel is for us and them for God's glory. See, we, we make a mistake when we make the cross or we make the gospel itself a point of division. We make that the dividing line between us, the, the redeemed, saved saints, and them, the hopelessly irredeemable sinners. But we do. It is, it, is, it is a common feature, particularly in Western civilization, to create dichotomies that, that pit us against some them. The truth is, there is no us without Christ coming for all of the thems of the world. Paul makes that clear throughout the book of Romans, that we were all hopeless sinners. That we were all enemies of God. And that it is only through His grace and his love and his willingness to come to us while we were still sinners and to die for us, that we are made holy, that we are made right, and that we are provided with salvation. The gospel is for us and for all the them, thems of the world for God's glory. Regardless of earthly classifications and categories, we must wholeheartedly and warmly welcome all who would come into God's kingdom and family. As they are, not as we think they should be or as we hope they will become, but as they are right now. Part of the, 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 the struggle with joining someone on the journey is that we have to join them where they are. And it takes time to move them along. It takes grace. It takes patience. Paul in verse 7 restates his thesis from Romans 14.1. He says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring Praise to God. Acceptance is required. And it goes beyond simple tolerance to full inclusion as beloved brothers and sisters. To see them as prodigal children and not as enemies. People to be embraced. That's what the word acceptance means. Is to be warm and wholeheartedly embraced. Paul doubles and triples down in the usage of this word. Weak or strong. Jew or Gentile. 
sinner and saint. There should be no insiders and outsiders. Just people whom God loves, for whom Jesus died, and people in need of his life-saving and life-changing grace and good news. From the very beginning, God's plan was to offer his saving grace to all nations, welcoming them among his people and bringing them glory. I love this breakdown that Paul makes here uh, in, in verses 9 and following. He says, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. He says that this is, this is a thesis statement that he now is going to break down in some subpoints. And what Paul is going to do after making this statement, that God's desire was to be glorified through demonstrating his mercy through the ultimate outsiders, these, these idolatrous, sinful Gentiles. He says this is God's desire, that he would show his mercy to all of these extemp extemporaneous outside nations, that God wants to do this. Well, well how does he do this? Well, Paul says, let me show you through the Old Testament, through the Scriptures, not just through the New Testament and Jesus right now. Let me show you how the Old Testament points to what God has been doing and has desired to do from the very beginning. He maps out the progression of God's plan to expand the borders of his kingdom to include all peoples. Notice in these verses how the Gentiles move from passive observers to active participants in glorifying God. Verse 9, the second half, it says, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. God's people would praise God before these outside peoples. These Gentiles would see and hear the praises of God. They would realize the greatness of God, not because of their experience, but because of the expression of God's people. God's name would be declared in their presence. Paul continues in verse 10. He says, again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. The Gentiles would join the people of God in rejoicing and recognizing the greatness of God. Verse 11, Paul says, and again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol them. Well, now the Gentiles are, are the center of the praise party. It is the Gentiles themselves and all the peoples who are joining and, and who are singing and, and declaring the praises of God, extolling, recognizing his greatness. In verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Well, it takes it all the way to the end to now it points to the root of Jesse. That points back to David, to, to the Davidic promise of a coming king who would rule over all nations. And it's not that this king would come and destroy all other nations. No, rather than, than coming to destroy all other nations, this king would come so that he could draw all these nations into himself. Jesus is the root of Jesse. And Jesus would ultimately arise to rule over all nations, instilling hope in them. Make no mistake that you and I are the Gentiles about whom this passage is speaking. 
None of us has a clear enough Hebrew or Jewish lineage that we could point back and say that we are pure-blooded Jews, part of the Hebrew nation, in and of ourselves. We are, all of us in this room right now, Gentile peoples, only saved because of the powerful progression of God's plan to bring his glorious gospel to all peoples. And we stand here and sit here at this moment, praising God, recognizing his glorious greatness, and extolling him from my mouth because God's goodness spread and the borders of God's kingdom became permeable allowing us to enter in this is the grace of Jesus Christ and we need to remember the great lengths to which God has continued to go to bring people from all nations all tribes and all tongues into his family you see the gospel of Jesus seeks to eliminate our enemies and outsiders not through destruction but through the extension of God's mercy to them in order that they might join us. I have a great concern for the church. We love us some Revelation. And I think it's an interesting book. But I think we make a mistake when we begin to focus on the ultimate destruction on the enemies of God. It misses the point of the gospel. We are not the ones that get to swing the swords. Jesus will take care of that in Jesus' time. Remember, the Old Testament, that's what they consistently looked forward to. And Christ came and he's like, you misunderstood that. Let me correct your mistake. So why do we still now fixate on that? In the modern time, it is not our, listen to me, it is not our job as Christians to prepare for the moment when we get to strike down and smite God's terrible enemies living on this earth. That is not our role. You know what our role is? To go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We are to be witnesses. And when it says that we are soldiers of the gospel, this is the weapon, not to destroy the enemy, but to undo them by making them allies through the grace of Jesus Christ. God will sort out how judgment needs to play out one day. But in the meantime, it is not for us to pass judgment and to bring about or wish for condemnation or destruction of others, but to pray for our enemies, to love those who persecute us, to seek to find them a place in God's kingdom that they too might experience the same gracious salvation that we ourselves experienced. I mean, there's an incredible irony in the fact that Paul, of all people, is the apostle to the Gentiles, speaking to Jews and Gentiles about the inclusion of the Gentiles. Remember, this is the man that was killing Christians, killing first century Jews who had become Christians because they were being too loose with the, the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now Paul is having to do a complete about face and saying, I was wrong. Now notice in his pride, he never actually says, I was wrong. But he does recognize the fact that, that he's, he's had to have a change of heart here. Paul learned something that I think that we ourselves need to learn. That God is most glorified through the repentance and restoration of sinners. Not through the ex execution of his wrath and retribution. We were those sinners. And we have only become saints and members of God's family through God's grace, which someone had to share with us. And praise God that they did. Our faith leans on the confident assurance 
that God will continue to accomplish his salvific purposes both in and through us. Verse 13, Paul says again, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his spirit. Hope inspires joy and instills peace as we remember what God has done in the past, inspiring trust as we follow him into the future. Not only that, but inherent in Paul's statement is that through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that we would become conduits of his grace as the hope overflows from us into the world around us. It becomes a spring, an unstoppable well that continues to, to push the living water of Christ out of us. It reminds me of a spring that I saw at Pokagon State Park up near Angola, Indiana. There's a, there's a spring that you can walk by, and, and I went there several times as a kid and into adulthood. And it's interesting because as you come by, you'll notice that there are a bunch of like baseball-y sized rocks and smaller. And I wondered how they got there because they didn't seem natural to the area. It's a cutout area where the water comes out of this rock wall. But here are all these rocks that don't look like they belong. And one time as I was walking by, I saw these kids there. And these children were trying to stop the spring. They were trying to stop the, the water from coming out of the pipe. And it didn't matter how many rocks they put in there or how tightly they put them in there. The water continued to find ways out around the corners and the crevices. The water could not be contained, and ultimately, the rocks would give way, and the water would continue to gush out. This is how the gospel should function in the life of the believer, that there is nothing that can stop the good news of Jesus from emanating from us, both in word and deed. In John chapter 4, Jesus says, that, that he would give us, he talks to the woman at the well, and he says, if, some, if you would ask for me, I would give you water. And it would well up in you to, to rivers, to springs of living life. Springs of living water. That's what, that's what the gospel is supposed to do in us. It's not something that we just bring into us, that we hide in our hearts, that we hold for ourselves. But it should be an uncontainable flood of grace that flows out of our hearts and lives into the world around us. Bringing life, not just for us, but to dry, a dry and thirsty world. That's the point that Paul is getting to. That's the reality of Paul's life. That the gospel must be shared in all places with all peoples. We have an obligation to instruct one another in the truth that we've see, received. To, to encourage one another. To edify. To build up one another. We aren't to bury the understanding of who God is and what he's done deep inside of us, but to share it. You know, I think about the parable of the talents. And it has little to do with money. Remember that you had the servant that was given five and he went out and invested it and he got five more back. And the master looked and was like, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Second one took two, went and hit it, and came back with two more. And the master said, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the last one, having one, understanding how valuable it was and how much the master had done to achieve it, takes it and hides it in the stand and comes back and says, hey, here's the one that you gave me. And the master says, you wicked and lazy servant. You know what? You know, that, that parable has nothing to do with financial resources. It has nothing to do with money. 
Jesus, if you look back at the beginning of that parable, says, But the kingdom of God is like unto. It's about the kingdom of God, that we have been entrusted with this great and amazing gift of God, the kingdom of God. And our job is not to hold it to ourselves and to hide it away so that we don't lose it, but our job is to open it up and to share it that it might expand exponentially. That the investment that God has made in us we would make in the world that God would receive back tenfold what he has given us. We have an obligation to share. This will require us to allow people to come to us as they are. But with the understanding and expectation that both they and we will grow and change as the message of gospel, the gospel is invested in our lives. And as Paul notes, this will at times require us to be bold in our presentation of the truth. Just as you and I have experienced the discomfort of Paul's words for ourselves. We must be willing to both humbly and patiently share and receive the truth of God's word. In order that we might continually be molded into his image. Into the model of Jesus Christ that his grace might continue to save the lost. Paul talks about his task in sharing this truth. Verses 16, and he, Paul uses temple terminology to describe his role, ministry, and those to whom he's ministering. Look at verse 16. He says, God gave me th- this role to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The word that Paul uses here, he says that, that he is a liturgon. This is where we get the word liturgy, that Paul is a liturgist laying out the worship of God and explaining that to others. It is a word reserved for those who perform the sacred services in the temple. He is perver- performing a, a work called harargonta, which is literally translated sacrificing. Paul, it's translated in our English text as performing a priestly duty. For Paul, this involved sacrificing his own comfort and rights to preach the gospel and to build the church of Jesus Christ throughout the Roman world. And what's his goal? His goal is to make the Gentiles into, quote, an acceptable offering. His aim is to bring them to salvation, but also to lead them into sanctification. You see, the gospel has two parts to it. We often skip one or the other, or we hold to one or the other. We hold to salvation or we hold to sanctification. Not understanding that, that both of them happen as a process and synergy over time. It's bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through his sacrificial work and through the person of Christ. But the second is equally important. It is the continued work of God making us pur- purposeful and useful for his purposes, for his glory, that we might serve him in sharing the gospel. And Paul held a sp- special apostolic role that no longer exists. But, but understand this. The priestly role of preaching the gospel and seeking to bring lives to Christ as an acceptable offering is ours as well. We all are called to serve as witnesses for Jesus Christ wherever we go. Again, Acts 1.8 tells us. That we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. Every day, everywhere, we are ambassadors 
for the gospel. It's not as hard as we often make it out to be. Our task is the same as Paul's. To simply witness to what God has and continues to do in our lives. Verse 18. Paul says, I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. He says, I'm just sharing what what Jesus continues to do in me. I am just sharing the story of of how God has worked to, to demonstrate his grace and gospel. Serving as a witness and sharing the gospel is rooted in sharing the story of what God has done and continues to do in your lives wherever you go. And notice as you look through the end of the chapter that Paul wants to take the gospel to everyone who hasn't heard. It has always been my ambition, Paul says in verse 20, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard about him will understand. This is our goal. This is our mission. That we would take the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet accepted it. Inviting them to enter into a relationship with Jesus. That they might join, like us, the family of God through his gracious truth and through faith. Whatever the cost, may we be willing to sacrifice whatever God asks of us to share his gospel. May we as his servants be gracious and loving and approach others with arms open wide that we might embrace them fully with the same love and grace with which God has accepted us. And may the good news of the freedom that comes through Christ be saved from sea to shining sea to shining sea. Amen and amen. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. I thank you for the great love with which you've loved us and the calling that you have entrusted to us. That we as your servants might serve as your ambassadors sharing the truth of your gospel with the world in need. May your good news become in us rivers of life overflowing with hope into a world in need. God, may our lives bring you glory as your grace permeates the hearts and minds of others and brings them along. Lord, may we be willing to sacrifice ourselves as you sacrificed yourself for us. May we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.